He is worthy. He is worthy. He is the only one worthy. He is alive. He is risen. If anyone comes along and says that they are God, I'd be leery. Because they just may be a liar or a lunatic. But if that person who says that they're God says that they will lay down their life and three days later raise it back up again and they do exactly what they said they would do, they're not a liar, they're not a lunatic, they are Lord of Lords and King of Kings. I'm talking about our Savior, Jesus. He has risen. Man, I'm so glad that you're joining us today. Many refer to this as Easter Sunday, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I love just saying Resurrection Sunday. This is Resurrection Sunday that we celebrate our Lord who has risen from the dead. Amen? Amen. I'm glad you're joining us in Guthrie, Lexington, Freedom House. Thrilled for all of you that are in the house in Oklahoma City and also you that are joining us online. I want you to remain standing and grab your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Mark, chapter number 16. And if you don't have your Bible with you, that's okay. You can go to our North app. So north.church app, and you can get all the notes and even some extras. You can also look at the big screen in the sky and follow along with us today. Mark chapter number 16, starting with verse number one. Saturday evening, when the Sabbath ended, Mary Magdalene, the mother of James and Salome, went and purchased burial spices so they could anoint Jesus' body. Very early on Sunday morning, just at sunrise, they went to the tomb. On the way, they were asking each other, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? But as they arrived, they looked up and saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled aside. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in white robe sitting on the right side. The women were shocked. But the angel said, don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Look, this is where they laid his body. Holy Spirit, May you come, and for those that are followers of you, may you encourage them and build them up in their faith to endure, to fight the good fight of faith, to continue to mature and grow in you. And God, through your Holy Spirit, may you also convince the unbeliever of this strategic moment when Christ rose from the dead. Convince us. May we walk away different today because of what we believed, that Jesus is Lord of all, 
king of kings, that he rose from the dead, proven who he said he was. I pray this in the name above every name, the name of Jesus, and everybody said a good amen. amen. You may be seated. How many of you have ever been around somebody that has kind of a persona about them, a personality that's larger than life? They're kind of attra- you're attracted to, they're just larger than life. There's a certain individual in my life that was that way, and it was a pastor. This pastor, from the time I can remember up until I was about in sixth grade, pastored this small country church in East Oklahoma that I was a part of. I remember the image of him with his cowboy boots, his three-piece suit, his full set of hair, and his big smiling teeth, standing in that pulpit proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ and preaching the word and pounding on that pulpit. I remember bigger than life to me. Sixth grade, he moved off and went to go pastor somewhere else. And when I was in my early 20s, I began to preach some, and he heard about it. He contacted my family, got my number, and called me and asked me to come preach for him. I was humbled. I was amazed. The legend, the person that I looked at and I admire so much and that's larger than life, asking me to come preach for him, I accepted the invitation, went and preached for him. And that night, I actually stayed in their home. But my image of him, this larger than life image, began to shrink a lot that night. Not because of a lack of character, not because he wasn't who he said he was behind you know, closed doors. It, no, no, that was not it. It was other things that began to cause me to see him in a different light. So that night, whenever we went back to the house and his wife was preparing something to eat and we're sitting there. He begins to take off his boots. He took off those big boots right there in front of me and then he stood up and I swear he shrunk four inches. <laughs> and then he goes into his bedroom with those boots and puts them up and comes back out and now he doesn't have his suit jacket, doesn't even have his shirt on. He still has his suit pants on but he walks out in a white tank top and I begin to see that hair on his shoulders and the hair popping out his chest. I'm like, it just looked different than I thought. And then he walked back in and he came back out of the, his bedroom again and this time he has no hair. I didn't know he wore a wig. And then we have dinner at the table and after dinner and stuff and I'm just kind of uncomfortable now because this is This was not what I expected. The larger in life individual shrinking in size. He goes into his bedroom and he comes back out. It's kind of like the final good night and he doesn't have any teeth. What do you do? In this story, the story of Jesus, Jesus is larger than life. Early on, Jesus began to have something about him that others began to be attracted to from all walks of life, from Roman government leadership all the way down to the pauper on the street. They were interested in this guy. They could not put their finger on it. They could not and did not even realize that it was actually God walking among them. And then, 
the miracles begin to happen. The loaves and fishes with just a lunch of a small lad, he takes and feeds thousands of people. The blinded eyes being opened. The deaf ears being unstopped. The lame can walk. The demonic submit to his authority and flee. Oh, it's the opening of the floodgates as people begin to come to him from every area of the region. And then his good friend Lazarus gets sick and he dies, but Jesus has gone on a trip. When Jesus shows up, he'd been dead for four days. Lazarus' sister said, if you would have been here, it would have been different. If you would have been here, and Jesus says, oh, but I am the resurrection and the life. He says, roll back that stone. Martha says, but Lord, he stinks. He's been dead for four days. He said, Martha, wait. And he says, Lazarus, come forth. And though the man had been dead for four days, he gets out of that grave and begins to walk out of that grave. And I'm telling you, the news about Jesus began to capture people from everywhere. Then shortly after that, he is riding a donkey into Jerusalem. And people heard him coming back into Jerusalem and they began to get palm branches and began to wave them saying, Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David. Oh, by the thousands as they lined the street for one man to celebrate him. They were preparing for the moment. They thought that this was the time that they're gonna squash the Roman government and put over and take back the kingdom again of Israel. Reestablish the throne of David that had been lost. Now's the moment. Jesus rode his donkey all the way up into the temple. He gets off of his donkey, goes into the temple. He actually makes a whip and goes in. And the people in the temple are turned the temple into something it was never intended. They turned it into a marketplace and taken advantage of those that did not have what they needed. And Jesus begins to run them out and said, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. And I, the disciples for the first time see a different side of him. They saw the miracle worker, the, the, the guy who could attract kids and set them on a lap and, and say, blessed are you the little ones. And he, they saw him in a different light though. They saw the miracle working guy with also this authority and the power to literally run people out. And so they're thinking in their mind that, oh, he's, he's ready. He's preparing for that moment that we're gonna take over the Roman government and we're gonna reestablish the kingdom. Then Jesus retreats and he goes to a garden called Gethsemane. He begins to pray there. And I believe that the disciples were thinking, oh, he's developing his military strategy here as they were praying. Jesus asked for them to pray with him, but they couldn't. Three different times he checked on them. But in his prayers, he is crying out and he begins to sweat as it were great drops of blood because he has taken the weight of the world upon his shoulders, the sin of all humanity. And then, in the meantime, Judas, one of his followers, who had betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver, 30 pieces of silver to the Romans and to the Pharisees, and the Roman government begins to come with their soldiers to get Jesus. And Jesus says, my time is at hand. And he gets up and he walks. And the Roman soldier said, who is Jesus? And he says, I am he. And when he reveals himself, the Roman guard, these men that are soldiers fall on their back because of the power. Peter thinks this is the moment. 
He pulls out his sword. He tries to cut off a guy's head. He misses the head, but he gets an ear. And Jesus says, stop, Peter, put away your sword. And he reaches down and picks up the ear and places it back up on the Roman soldier's head. And he said, no, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is of a world to come. And Jesus turns himself over. And he's led away handcuffed. And in that moment, the disciples begin to flee and scatter. As he goes on trial, the largeness of Jesus, this larger than life figure is shrinking in size, in their eyes. He is put on trial. He is convicted even though he was innocent. He was sentenced to death by a cross. His beard is plucked out. He is slapped. He is beaten with a rod. They take a cat of nine tails. What that means is at the end of this whip was stones and rock and metal that would go across his back and rip away the flesh. 39 lashes till his back lay bare. And then they put a crown of thorn on his heads. Then they give him a cross to carry up to Golgotha. And when they get to the top, they put him down in the ground and nail him to a cross. And he breathes and struggles until finally he says, it is finished and dies. Joseph of Arimathea, one of the Pharisees who believed in Jesus, who did not agree with the other Pharisees that he should be killed, secretly was a follower of Jesus, bought a tomb and asked the Roman government for his body. They said, yes, you can have his body. They took a body down from the cross that Friday evening. He took that body and he put it inside the tomb. And now you have a stone rolled in front. And now you have a stone that's separated from what once was and what could have been. It's over. It seemingly ended. But then on Sunday morning, three women began to walk toward that tomb with burial spices so that they could put on the body to slow the decaying of the body and the smell and the stench of a body that is decaying. But as they got closer, they saw that there was something unique about this moment because the stone was rolled away. They were wondering who was gonna roll the stone back, but it was already done. And then they saw an angel of the Lord that said this, don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. What they found out that day is that Jesus is not only larger than life, Jesus is larger than death. The final enemy that would be slain and done away with, Jesus that day showed that yes, I can do miracles and yes, I can, but I am larger than death, the final enemy. In Philippians chapter number four and verse number 13 is a verse that a lot of Christians know. It says, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Everything through who? Through Christ. So it means that you cannot do anything apart from him. And if you try, it's only earthly. What's done for Christ is gonna stand the test of time. It's gonna last for all eternity. Anything that's done in your flesh or for what you want, it's only gonna last for the here and now. You can make your money, but it's gonna come and go. But what's done for Jesus is gonna stand for all eternity. In Philippians chapter number three, that same writer says this. 
He said, I want to know Christ. Yes, I want to know the power of his resurrection. And this is the key. But I think so many times for Easter, we've watered it down. We've watered it down because Easter has become dressed in pastels with a bunny rabbit and eggs to find. But let me remind you that Easter is more than that. Easter is Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead. Do not take away the power of this moment because it is about Jesus Christ rising from the dead. But oftentimes that's what we don't want, the suffering. Because Paul continues and he says, and participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Because all of us want to know the power of Christ. But we don't want to know the suffering of Christ. We don't want to die to ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Jesus Christ. And on this day, these women and some others learn some things about Jesus. Is that Jesus is bigger than any situation you may face. What is it you're facing? He's bigger than that. Whenever I was raised on a farm, my dad farmed you know, a few thousand acres, and, and we would, one day when I was 16, he sent me into town to buy some, uh, to get some supplies, and I took the truck, and I got, got the truck that had the diesel tank in the back, and this diesel tank is about, I mean, like, yay wide at four corners, about that tall, and it was about half full of diesel. diesel. This was used to go around and fill up the tractors and the combines and to keep everything going throughout the day. And he sent me into town to get some uh, supplies, but I forgot to shut the tailgate. And so I get to Highway 64, and it's a steep incline, and I gas it. And as I gas it and go up onto the highway, the diesel tank falls out of the back, right in the middle of the highway. It is so heavy, it sends an indention into the pavement. I just immediately backed right up to it. I jumped out of my vehicle to go load that diesel tank thinking, what am I gonna do? I can't do this by myself. Next thing I know, just within seconds, a guy pulls up in a 1972 green Torino. He gets out of the vehicle, and he is probably about 5'9", 200-something pound, barrel-chested guy wearing a green tank top. And he says, let me help you. And we just both reached down. I put my arms around the best I could. He put his arms around. He lifted that up, put it on the back of the truck, and then pushed it back in there and shut the tailgate and got back into his car. And I said, thank you. And he left. And I got in my truck, not even thinking about the significance of actually what happened. I drive off, I get the supplies, I drive back down to where my dad and my uncle were, and I told them what happened, not because I wanted to tell them about my mistake. I knew that somebody in the town probably saw me, and I didn't want them to hear about it from somebody else. And so I told them what happened. And my dad and my uncle looked at me and said, that didn't happen. I said, yes, it did. They said, no, that couldn't have happened. I said, dad, it did happen. And he said, Rodney, there is no way six of us men could not have picked up that and lifted it and put it in the back of the truck. There is absolutely no way. And then my uncle said, you must have had an angel help you. Well, let me tell you something. I believe in angels, and he can help us out in circumstances. And I don't know what your angel is like, but I know what my angel is like. And I know what my angel drives. <laughs> he drives a 1972 green Torino. And I know what he wears. 
he wears a green tank top. I've been looking for him ever since, and I haven't seen him. I can't say that I know of another moment I've had like that in my life. I've probably had angels that have helped me and protect me, but I cannot identify that that was definitely the time. But that moment was different. And let me tell you something. My God is larger than life. He can take care of you whatever situation you're in. He can protect you. He can protect you. He can lead you. He can guide you. He can help you even through the difficult times of life. But sometimes we want him to remove us from them, and sometimes he takes us through the problems of life. One time Jesus is in the boat, and the storm is raging. He is sleeping in the boat. His disciples finally go and wake him up and say, don't you care that we perish? And Jesus gets up and says, don't you have faith? And then he speaks to the winds and the waves, and they calm down. I don't believe he was talking about that you should have spoke to the winds and the waves. I think he was giving them an example how to sleep in the middle of the storm. He was saying, you know what? There's times you just need to go rest and let God take care of the problems. Go to sleep and let him do the supernatural. Some of you are hanging on to your situations like you can control them. You can't. Let God, let God take care of them. James is a young man in our church who served our country in Afghanistan and was injured severely with his ankle. He came back to have surgery. It was gonna be a long healing process. After the surgery, they began to correct that and, and fix. Then he began to have deterioration in his muscles and his legs. They could not figure out what would happen. Even to this day, they don't know exactly what happened. Did he begin to lose his muscle and his legs? But even through that, you know what he learned? He was running from God, turned to God, and learned to trust in God. He learned that no matter the situations in life, that God was still bigger and larger than those things. Also, Jesus is larger than any sickness that you may face. You see, we hear Jesus is a healer, and then we get somebody in our family that's sick, and maybe they even die. And to assume that Jesus is not as good as you thought he was just because he didn't do things the way you thought he should misses the point of faith. Faith says, I trust him, and I believe no matter what I see. Faith says, I hang on to God no matter what I go through. Somebody listening? Yes. Dominique. Dominique is a lady in our church battling cancer. Six children, a seventh on the way. Not a lot of hope. Scared, concerned. But like the disciples said one time when Jesus said, are you gonna leave me also? And they said, where else can we turn? You're the one that holds the word of life. You know, when you face cancer, you can turn to MD Anderson. There's nothing wrong with that. You can turn to other cancer resources to get help. There's nothing wrong with that. But remember that Jesus is the great physician and we cannot turn away from him. He is still our hope even in the middle of cancer. We're facing the dark times of our life. And Dominique realized that Jesus can roll back stones and she could trust him to roll back the stone of cancer in her life. Jesus is also larger than any evil spirit that you may face. And if you don't believe in evil spirits, just watch the news, any news. You'll see that there's evil out there. Just see what's going on in Ukraine and see the evil. You see, because evil destroys Jesus said the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. 
Evil decreates. God creates. He said, I come that you may have life and to have it abundantly. This is Sheila. Sheila is a lady in our church who went through some of the most horrendous, horrible abuse that you could ever imagine. If I were to tell you her story, it'd make you want to vomit. At the hands of her biological parents. It is a miracle that she even has her right mind now. By the time she was 11 years of age, she was an alcoholic, drinking. Supplied by her father himself. By the time she was 17, she was a meth addict. Then she was doing pills. And it grew worse and worse. But at 34 years of age, she was born again into a better family, the family of God. It's been four years that she has been meth-free. Four years. This May, because then she had a problem breaking her alcoholism, but this May will be one year since she's touched alcohol. Come on. And she said, Pastor, I've been working on other things in my life that I want to break free from. And she said, it's been now seven days since she's touched a cigarette. Come on, my God is working in her life and doing great things in her. Jesus is also larger than any sin. How how many know your Enneagram number? Anybody? Anybody? Zane, you know your Enneagram number? You need to know it. Todd, you know yours? Chris, you know yours? People have told me what I am. And so many people are telling me what I am, like you're an eight, you're like a one, you're like this. And I'm like, well, I'm gonna find out for sure what I am. I took the test and I was totally different what everybody was saying. And I went and told those people that no, this is what I tested. And they said, no, you're not that, you're this. Like I tested that. Then I went and spent the real money like to have like a professional do it and paid that good money to have it done to find out and I was still what I thought I was about the first test. And still people don't believe it. They said, no, you must have lied. It wasn't true. You You know, people will try to label you. And I know this, the devil will for sure label you. He will label you on your past sins, your past failures, your past marriage, your past this, your past that. And I'm telling you what, do not let the devil define you by your past. Do not let him put a label on you. Do not. Do not remember this, that Jesus Christ has defined you by his sacrifice on the cross. And he says, now you're his child. You're a son. You're a daughter of God. You do not have to be labeled by the devil or by other people. You're labeled by Jesus Christ and him alone. It's interesting to me that in verse number seven of this passage we read, that the angel says these words. He says, go and tell his disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you in Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you before he died, including Peter. Why did he do that? I believe Jesus told that angel, said, I want you to give them where I'm going to go, but I want you to make sure to emphasize Peter. Why is that? Because I believe Peter was allowing a lot of people to label him at that time. And he probably, even in his own mind, was struggling. Why? Because he had denied Jesus three times. The third time, he literally began to curse to prove that he was not one of those followers of Jesus. You blankety-blank, I'm not one of them. I'm, you know, and he begins to lay it out. He, then the rooster crows. 
I'm sure he felt the shame and the guilt over him, but Jesus is reminding him, come on, you may have turned from me, but I've never turned from you. Or some of you need to hear that today. Jesus has not left you. He has not forsaken you, though you've turned your back on him. He has always been there waiting for you. Always. When he was on the cross, hanging there, people said, just, if you are really the cross, if you're really the son of God, come down from that and prove to us that you're the son of God. Which is amazing enough because Jesus had already told them, he said, I can call a thousand angels and take care of this in immediate moment's time. A thousand angels. Think about that. One angel in the Old Testament killed 185,000 soldiers. What would a thousand angels do to this world? A thousand angels would destroy everything that we know. Jesus said, I can do that. But his whole mission of the cross was not to save himself. It was to save you and to save me. It was to lay down his life so that I can live and you can live. That's the gospel message. That's the hope that we have is that he can roll back any stone in your life. Preston, self-proclaimed prodigal running from God. Oh, but let me tell you this. You may be running from God but God's arms are open saying, the moment you turn around, I'm gonna run back to you. Corey Asbury wrote a poem that became a song. If I can remember it, it's something like this. Lord, I confess that I've been a criminal I've stolen your breath and wrote my own song. And Lord, I confess that I'm far from innocent. These shackles I wear, oh, I bought on my own. These scarlet sins had a crimson cost. You nailed my debt to that old rugged cross. An empty slate at an empty grave. Thank God that stone was rolled away. <laughs> For you today, the stone's been rolled away. He is alive. Would you to close your eyes. Father, do your thing right now. As every eye is closed, speak. Convince us of your power to save to the utmost. I pray this in your name, the name above every name, the name of Jesus. Amen.